Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the very first, welcome for the first time to the very first podcast where we're going to be talking about Star Trek Enterprise, which in the early goings is actually just called Enterprise, but we'll get into all of that stuff. This is the Penske Podcast. If you guys are unfamiliar or you're new, this is a podcast where we're going through all the Star Trek episodes one after another, talking about them, breaking them down, looking at the story, doing all that analysis and stuff. And so I'm joined as always by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Good to be back on... Up in orbit here. <laughs> We're about to take our own step forward as humanity, just like they do in Star Trek Enterprise, the first episode, which is Broken Bow, that we're going to be talking about. But uh, yeah, this is a podcast where we talk about Star Trek, and we're going to be talking about Enterprise now. The patrons, we have patrons on patreon.com slash the Penske file who support the show very generously, and they voted by a two-to-one I think two to one margin, 66% of the vote got, uh, was given to enterprise over Voyager clay. And does that surprise wow. you? It surprises a lot of people, but I, I think I'm glad that we're going to do enterprise here. Um, I'm enterprise is my least familiar of the star Trek series. Mm. I, I've only seen the first season and spot episodes after that. So I, I've probably seen maybe five or six episodes total from the second, third and fourth season ep, uh, mm-hmm. seasons. I've seen all of the first, I think, but I don't really remember it all that well. And I think I'm, I think I'm interested in moving into Enterprise just because it is different from Voyager, which we don't have to talk about now. But it's you know it is later. It's only a couple of years later, but it, it is later than the '90s track, and it's kind of this like middling series between the uh the reboot 2009 movies and the 90s star trek stuff like that but mm-hmm. what's your uh, familiarity with this series i don't think you have much of anything really you probably you probably have less than me which is saying something since i'm not super familiar with it yeah i'm uh i'm i'm not super surprised that they, that this one if only because voyager has always seemed like a bit of uh, uh more of the same um as far as star trek goes where this is a clear departure from um you know the status quo of how they usually do this show. Yeah. Um, my the I have little to no experience with Enterprise. All I know is that I've watched the final episode because it's uh, well, I won't spoil it if people haven't seen it, but it's the <laughs> it's, only it's, episode. It's infamous, is what you can say. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, having no knowing nothing about the show, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, and I also know that the theme song is terrible. Yep. And getting into this, it it definitely, it definitely reassured that second one. Point. At, one out of two, one out of two points you were able to confirm after watching the uh, the pilot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I'm happy that it's Enterprise. Enterprise is only going to be four seasons, which is relatively short compared to the other things that we've done. But if you guys are, are they just, are they full like twenty two full twenty six? Yeah, seasons? I think they're 26, all twenty six. Okay. Yeah, uh, so they're normal Star Trek seasons. <clears throat> Um, and yeah, if you guys haven't heard our, all of our previous coverage, we did TOS, TNG, DS9, we skipped Voyager, and now we're doing Enterprise. So welcome aboard. Welcome back to everyone else who supported the show. Sorry for the long break, but I moved. We got a new setup here. We had to take a little bit of time off after Star Trek Picard. Oh, that's right. We covered Discovery and Picard, too, if you want to check that out. But now we're back. Uh, and if you're interested in supporting the show going forward, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to do that. And I think that's enough for an introduction, Clay. So let's take a little break. I'm going to play a quote from the show. And then we're going to come back and we're going to break down Broken Bow. Rather than quoting Dr. Cochran, I think we should listen to his own words from the dedication ceremony for the Warp 5 complex 32 years ago. On this site, a powerful engine will be built. 
an engine that will someday help us to travel a hundred times faster than we can today. Imagine it, thousands of inhabited planets at our fingertips. And we'll be able to explore those strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. This engine will let us go boldly where no man has gone before. You mentioned it in the intro, Clay, but let's get it out of the way now so we don't have to talk about it. Although I'm sure as we go through these four seasons, we're going to be asked about it by people who are sort of new or coming in or haven't heard the first episode. Um, the theme song is infamous for this show. Mm. And you said you didn't like it. Uh, what, what, is, what, what, are some, what are some thoughts about this song, which is Where My Heart Will Take Me, which was originally written by Diane Warren, originally performed by Rod Stewart, which makes a lot yeah. of sense when you think about it. But this version is done by a guy named Russell Watson, who, if, I, if I'll, I'll say one thing and throw it to you, the Rod Stewart version is like a five out of 10 in terms of a song, mm-hmm. just because I think Rod Stewart actually has, compared to Russell Watson, has like a vocal personality to him. Uh, Russell Watson's version is worse than that, I think. But what do you think about this song? And specifically, I guess, how it's different from the other Star Treks for a theme song? Well, first of all, uh, I didn't know that um, someone brought it up, or I don't remember, maybe you brought it up on Discord or something, I can't remember. But I, I didn't know that uh, uh, until a couple days ago. And knowing that, that it's going Rod into Stewart, the episode, you mean? Yeah, that it was originally a Rod Stewart song uh, under a different name, actually. I think the, isn't the, the this one, isn't it? titled faith of the heart no this isn't, one isn't is where my heart will take me and the rod stewart is faith of the heart oh I, that, that's so weird um well first of all that uh second of all um in the same vein it's weird that they use like a pre-existing like pop song yeah i wouldn't call it it's a pop from patch song. adams it's like, is the big claim to fame for that for the rod stewart version even worse yeah even worse um and also the guy that they got to sing it is like dime store rod stewart <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't know it was originally a Rod Stewart song. Yeah. So when I heard this version, knowing that, I was like, "Oh yeah, clearly, he's he's got that that they're that gravelly back end to his voice. They're trying to go for that thing." And it's I, you know, it's it's the song plus the the visuals of the opening credits that I think together don't really do it for me because mm. um, it's so cheesy and. The thing I'd be curious to know, I don't know if you know this, um, one of the, the trivia bits about the song is that they would they used to play it on the actual space shuttle as a way to start their day or something sometimes yeah. on missions. Yep. Do you know, did that predate this show? So <laughs> my, yeah. well, the point, my point is, is is the use of it in this show a direct reference to the fact that they would do that on the actual space station I, or spaceship? I do not know. I do not know that. I mean, they would have had to have started doing it post-2001, right, for that to make sense. So I don't know what the earliest space shuttle where they were singing that would be and whether or not they're doing it ironically or something like that. Um, I don't know. That's a good question, and I'm sure a patron or a if- listener will say it. Because if that if that was like a known thing, like the space shuttle crew would play this song in the yeah. morning every day or something, that makes more sense it, to you. It makes more sense given what the cre- opening credits are, but that's like a deep cut of a reference. <laughs> that is a deep cut. I mean my my problem with it is that, and this is going to be it. Kind of this is going to tie into our discussion of the actual episode. Uh, it's very of an era and a 
UPN channel to have a theme song like this. Yeah. You you know, like there's – the thing that I think is funny about it is when we talked about like discovering Picard about how they – like when new modern uh, Trek producers come in and these guys aren't really modern. It's Brennan Braga and Rick Berman who have been there since the 90s doing this stuff. But when they they try to do a new take on Star Trek – you always think that there are some things that you shouldn't, you just shouldn't touch really because it's so mm. iconic and it because changing it is kind of irrelevant. And I think yeah. that this theme song is that way. There's a, a YouTube video that does the opening credits, but instead they play Archer's theme, which you probably didn't pick up on in this episode, but it's like the, the theme song for Captain Archer is this mm-hmm. song. And it's actually pretty good. And it fits more. I actually the, did, I did see that video. I, I agree. I thought it was pretty good. And, and that seems to fit the Star Trek thing of being more just like thematically musically appropriate for it mm-hmm. rather than the the problem here is that I know that a lot of people are saying, Hey, I like uh, where my heart will take me. Like I really enjoy this song. First of all, there's no accounting for taste. So I can't tell you that you're, you're wrong about this. Hey, but Diane Warren, very popular songwriter. Was she wrote a lot of hit songs. She, 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 she whiffed on this one, but it still managed to, to go on. <laughs> I think that the problem with this one, right, is that the, the, the lyrics are so on the nose, which is shocking because the song was not written for this show. You know what I mean? Like if, right. if you put this song in front of any material, it seems too on the nose in what they're talking about because it's so vaguely aspirational and just like sort of pseudo Christian rock music yeah it really does feel like that yeah and it's just so bland and cheesy all i can think of of all the other shows like seventh heaven and stuff that that came out at this time that there must have been an executive at upn who really loved this shit like really loved just sort of soft rock classic adult listening contemporary music and he put it on everything yeah it's weird too because like i get what they're going for in in the opening credits and the uh, uh, and the, with the song and everything and it's I think in the context of the show and specifically this opening episode I don't really think it's doing the the story any favors because this this opening credits is like this big sweeping song about like you know faith of the heart and where no one's no one's going to tell me what to do is what the song yeah, is about. O- yeah over all of these like the history of flight and shit um ending you know going from the the wright brothers up to uh uh or it's not even flight it's like ships and stuff it yep. starts with like the the HMS original enterprise yeah the original yeah little ship. up through the uh nx nx01 and uh and it's like look at this the uh how, look at how impressive humanity is when they put their put their mind to things they they reach the stars and then like the running theme of the episode is every other alien species thinks the humans are fucking idiots yeah (laughs) and like really behind the times and i going into the whole episode i found that really it really recontextualized starfleet for me um because usually Starfleet and the Fed does the Federation exist at this point or is it just starfleet okay just starfleet neither one exists really yeah Oh, well, he, they do refer, they do say Starfleet, so I assume. It's, do they, do it's they call it Starfleet at this they point? They do, the, yes. The, the, okay, so the Federation does not exist, and Starfleet, it does exist at this point, although it's just humans' ships, I would assume. Yeah, and it's, it's like Starfleet, uh, uh, it recontextualized it for me because usually in Star Trek, the Federation and Starfleet are like the leaders. And they're the ones who it's like, oh, it makes it makes sense to me that all of these other uh, – they're the ones on, on the frontier looking for new stuff. 
um, while these other planets are kind of like rallying around them because they're they're the ones carrying the flag. In this show, it they have the same kind of like ethos. Like uh, Cochran gives that speech where he says, "You know, the uh, bold boldly go where yeah. no one's gone he, before." He coins the TOS intro. Yeah, yeah, new new light seeking out new life and new civilizations. But in the context of this show, it seemed less like exploring the frontier and more like. I, I put myself in the mind of the other aliens who must have been like, fuck, these guys are just going to show up and just start asking questions. Yeah. These stupid little humans. Like it really made the, it made the humans feel a lot less than everybody else. Like they had a lot of catching up to do. Um, and it was really interesting to, to, to read it that way. And I, I think that like, I'd agree the, the theme song thematically works however i think to be a good song you need to just have more than just match the lyrics to what the context of the stuff that it's, it's on top of right, to right. do. like i think the song is just li- listen i'm sure if you go to like a star trek cruise and after five beers this is the first song that everyone does in karaoke oh, absolutely and i'm sure it absolutely. kills i'm sure it's a great karaoke song i'm sure this song is fantastic to do a karaoke especially around other people who know what the fuck the song is but yeah. it's just not and I'm sure that you will grow to like it over the course of watching the series because music works that way. It just worms its way into your ear and eventually you'll stop. You'll just be saying, faith of the heart. Um, it's just a terrible song, though. Like, yeah. I, I, I just think it's really awful. It's really vaguely written, poorly performed by a poor man's Rod Stewart and just kind of dumb, stupid stuff that I, I think is the wrong decision for a new Star Trek show to be like, I'm going to make things different. I'm going to change things. The other thing, Clay... The mm. show was just called Enterprise at first. It was not called Star Trek Enterprise, which actually fooled young Wes because when it came <laughs> out, I said, is this a Star Trek show? It looks like Star Trek, but why doesn't it say Star Trek on it? What do you think about I that, not- the naming of it of to just be Enterprise, which they changed in the third season to Star Trek Enterprise? Uh, also, I think I understand why they did that, but I think it's a bad move. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, if uh, on that karaoke cruise, I would be the first per- the person who gets up and is like, "I, I know what you, what I'm gonna do. You, no one's done it yet." And then I would do the theme from Growing Pains, <laughs> which I think I hope I wish I hope somebody makes a video of the credits from Enterprise using the theme from Growing Pains because that's a great song. Yes, yeah. and, it, and I think it would fit too. <clears throat> I yeah. think it would be f- fairly thematic. <clears throat> um, but yeah, as far as the name, that is that is really weird because this. I was thinking as I was watching this how this is the first glimpse of dipping their toe into this weird nebulous realm where it's it's a Star Trek show but I don't want to say they're embarrassed that it's a Star Trek show but like it's it's they're a trying lot to trick more... a new audience into not realizing it's Star Trek I think. Yeah, and it also it also it feels a lot more generic. Yep. Because there is not as much Star Trek stuff in it. I'm not saying that there there isn't Star Trek stuff in it because there obviously is, but it's it's a new era think, of design. I would say it's a, they, right because of the time difference. They're allowed to totally redesign it from what the '90s Star Trek all kind of looked the same, so they're able to go in a different direction with it. Right, and I think the 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 place where it really stood out to me the most was seeing all of this new quote unquote new design that didn't feel explicitly Star Trekky. But also seeing very familiar looking Klingons. Yes. <laughs> the first thing, like the first thing I thought of was, I can't, I'm really surprised that they didn't change the Klingons at all. Mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, 
not that they, not that you necessarily have to. You don't have to change the. Everybody seems to enjoy changing the Klingons from show to movie to show. But I I was really surprised to see all of this new stuff and then something that was uh such so rooted in the old stuff. And I guess you could probably say, oh, well, you know, it's it's a it's a way to bridge the two things or whatever. But it just I don't know. Something felt weird about it to me. I think that maybe it's because the show opens with a Klingon on Earth blowing up a grain silo. I don't know. It just felt really that opening felt really strange. (laughs) The the weirdest part about that is when he shoots it and then the explosion happens and he makes sure to jump in frame of the camera to be sure that he's he's, he's on. I don't know. I don't know what was in that thing or what kind of gun he used, but yeah. it remind, I was waiting for him to look at the gun like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho <laughs> because that thing exploded. It's um, Yeah, so before we get into the, the episode, I'll just read the little blurb here. Enterprise originally, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, originally titled Enterprise until season three, is the sixth series set in the Star Trek universe, created by Rick Berman and Brennan Braga, who are two guys that we're familiar with, although because Brennan Braga never worked on DS9, we haven't heard his name in a while. And based upon Gene Roddenberry's classic 1966 Star Trek, Enterprise was a prequel set a century before the timeline of Kirk and Spock. The series followed the voyages of the first starship Enterprise and mankind's first steps into the final frontier. Originally titled Enterprise, the series ran an abbreviated four seasons. The series debuted in 2001 on UPN, replacing Star Trek Voyager. It was canceled in tw- uh, 2005. As of 2020, I like this little tidbit here, due to its placement in the timeline, Enterprise is the only Star Trek production whose continuity is not affected by the 2009 film. Which is huh. kind of neat. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, it's the only TV series in the Star Trek universe to remain in continuity in both the Prime and the Kelvin realities. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's get into it. Broken Bow is the name of this first episode. I guess um, I'll just say my piece and then you can give me your thoughts about it. Enterprise mm. to me feels very of an era much like the song in the theme song feels very much of an era. I think that the production aspect of it screams early 2000s in a lot of ways. Oh, definitely, yeah. And which is funny because maybe I'm just biased that the 90s Star Trek also represents an era of TV making, but I feel like the design of the 90s Star Trek is different from other shows of that time. Like mm. they they kind of look the same, but it was more that they they had their own aesthetic about things, and all of the shows kind of copied that aesthetic, and they just kept going with it. So the 90s Star Trek looks like itself, but Enterprise to me feels like they're very uh, intentionally trying to do something new with it. And they go back in time to do things with that, which allows them to change all the production design and everything. But it also, as you were saying, allows them to disguise that this is in fact a Star Trek show, because you don't mm. see that stuff in it anywhere. And uh, But the use of CG in it, the use of uh, the action sequences here feel very much like modern Star Trek in a lot of ways. Yeah, like there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat so. in this episode. But what, what, like what? A, there's an extended gunfight on a roof. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> which I was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, like bef- before we get into what we liked and disliked about it, would you kind of agree with that? Or is it like surprising to see it? Did it feel like Star Trek when you were watching it? All that stuff. Um, You know, kind of, what I was saying earlier, it felt like it was like half and half um, because there was stuff that felt like Star Trek and then there was a lot of stuff that didn't feel like Star Trek. I I really like the ship. I think the ship is a really nice design. Um, I'm okay on the 
the the uniforms. It was killing me that they weren't wearing a pin, though. You know, that's like, like my favorite jam. part of yep, the combat. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's my, it's the only thing I care about in these shows, and they didn't they didn't do it. Yeah, they don't have um, that tech until later, right? Discovery has the secret black badges that. Uh, in, in, yeah, but in I mean, like even the even TOS has the badge on on the the shirt. On the shirts, you know, yeah, yep. yeah, they've got that patch on their shoulder in this, but it's not quite as satisfying. Um, they are definitely more like flight suits. Uh, the but you know what's interesting is I think that aesthetic look you're talking about is due to, due in fact at least a little bit I think to the uh, the fact that they were uh, kind of on their own doing these uh, syndicated shows and this one is it was on UPN right yes yeah. And there's a thing I don't ma- I don't know if it's something that's clearly apparent or if you just have to watch countless hours of television to pick up on it, but especially in the 90s and early 2000s, not so much anymore. Uh, you could tell what channel a show was on just by the way it looked. Yeah, like there was a a definite look to the Fox shows, and there was a definite look to the UPN shows, and this definitely feels like a UPN show. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. <clears throat> It's it's almost like the it's like the cameras or something they were using or sharing directors yeah. or something like that yeah and yeah. it's I think the the lighting is is similar in a lot of them um you know like this this has almost a similar feel to uh, uh, some of the later those are some of the later uh, DS nine stuff was UPN I think it might have aired on UPN yeah 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 uh, and I know the last couple seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer were on UPN and those yep. definitely feel different than the early seasons. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, this is definitely a much darker show visually, uh, than the previous ones. Like the, the bridge of the ship is a lot darker than it's ever been. Much more like Um, a submarine, which is obviously intentional. Yeah. It's, it's very primitive. Uh, everything's primitive at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's situated in this weird point of time because they are, it, 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 it like I said, it does have one foot in. We want this to be Star Trek, and one foot in. Eh, we're trying to get new people into it, and the time frame actually makes sense to support that because it is like on the cusp of the, of Starfleet and the Federation and everything. So it would make sense. Yeah, that it there actually, was one foot. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say it would make sense that there's one foot in traditional Star Trek and and maybe one foot in something else. But I I think where it drops the ball at least based on this first episode um is i kind of wish that there was a character like idris elba's character from beyond star trek beyond mm-hmm. who is someone who is struggling to make the, the the change because as what i was thinking as this was as this was getting going and like the ship goes off and everything i was thinking to myself what what is this ship? Is it a military ship? Is it a science ship? Is it some sort of mix? Is it like just a diplomatic ship? Who yeah. are these people on the ship? Yeah. And I was thinking, Star Trek is so much generally a science science based exploration show that has you know militaristic elements to it. Um, it's not never usually just like a straight military you know fighting ship. Yeah. That it would be really interesting to have. A character, characters on the NX-01 who are there for science reasons and characters who are there because maybe, you know, the humans don't entirely trust the Vulcans or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so a little bit more uh, uh, military versus science, but at least 
maybe I'm putting a lot on this first episode, but it, it uh, uh, I, I was kind of wishing they had done something like that because I find the, the crew to be very Star Trekky of a crew, but at the same time, kind of undefined as to where they sit among everything. Yeah. Originally, Berman's original idea was to have the entire first season take place on Earth while they were building the ship. Oh God! And they just, <laughs> did. They he just, also write? Did he also write Star Trek Picard? <laughs> you wanted to have a vineyard. They um. So they obviously that would be tough to do with this era of twenty six episodes. I think they probably could have done it for five or six. I think and gotten something mm-hmm. out of it because I like the, my biggest problem with this is I think I agree with you that the the ship is kind of ill defined and the whole way that they recruit the crew feels very just like piloty in that the, these people yeah. just happen to be all thrown together with each other and mm-hmm. i think that uh hoshi uh the communications one is the only one who's given like a real sort of backstory as to why right. she would be joining anything right um and before we get to that i think what's interesting about this time that they chose so this is the earliest star trek series it's 100 years before tos what's interesting about this timeline is that while they were trying to disguise that it's a star trek show the timeline also lets you do that because you're basically dealing with the most current version of humanity that's allowable in this series, right? So, sure. And you, you see that in Archer and Tucker, his number one officer, where they are, you know, Tucker's just kind of a good old boy from Tennessee or some mm. shit like that. Like, he, yeah. they, they have a modern bent to it where Archer is, Archer at this point, at least in this episode, is the most militaristic of all the captains, I would say, right? Like, he... Mm. He yells at people constantly. He chews out to pole uh, a bunch in this episode. And th- the allowing the show to disguise itself allows you to move away from that Roddenberry version of how these people would be talking to each other. And mm. I'm not going to say it goes into DS9 territory. It seems more like at this point it's more window dressing where people are just kind of bullshitting with each other more casually than they are in the later 90s series where it feels like Starfleet and the Federation is much more of a well-oiled machine at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it, I <clears throat> I did I did feel like they were trying to make it a more contemporary kind of feel and it is it is kind of weird. Like it is it, it I think it does come back to that thing we've talked about quite a lot in the last year or so, a couple years is what makes a Star Trek show a Star Trek show. Um and Part of it is that sort of not necessarily not necessarily contemporary sort of aloof aloofness to the characters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it is interesting to to see these types of characters in in a Star Trek show. And uh, we can get it out of the way now, but they're obviously going for the uh, the sexiness factor in this show. Well, yeah, I, I watching this the 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 thing that stood out the most to me was how it very much felt like proto discovery mm, it does feel like discovery were, doesn't it, it does. yeah. I, I did not really i didn't that's not something i thought when i first watched this series but it feels like it's a midway point between old track and discovery in a lot of ways yeah it feels like it's the uh before ratings didn't really mean anything anymore uh discovery where it's like we're trying to push the push the edge in this thing but we can't we still have to like work within uh broadcast television guidelines yeah but i mean that being said at the time if you're turning on upn to watch star trek and all of a sudden a bunch of like 
naked aliens with pasties over their boobs start like <laughs> gyrating in front of you that's going to be shocking for a star trek show yes yeah um, as is the absolutely ridiculous decontamination scene where they rub lube all over each other <laughs> that's not the only scene so you have more of those to look forward to um that scene that is, was that was ridiculous that seems ridiculous because <laughs> the characters are going about their business completely officially, right? But the camera is just insisting yeah. that this is sexual. It's just yeah. like he, she wants to put her hand just right on this guy's dick this whole time. And it's just like the camera's just all over her stomach and over her tits. And it's just like this is this is absurd. It's not like there's any heat between them no, at all. No, they hate the each scene. other. Yeah. Yeah. Like they haven't gotten to, I'm assuming that they probably end up having some sort of relationship based on what they presented in this episode. But um, it's not like there's any hint of what, what is to be or like there's any awkwardness about what's going on. It's just, yeah, they're talking about like paperwork yep. while they're doing this really mundane decontamination thing. application. Yeah. 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 But then it's like close up on her stomach as he's like almost putting his hand down her pants. <laughs> And it's like glistening in the light because this stuff shines for some reason. Yeah, it's it's really you know uh, it seemed to be a little bit cold in that room. I'll just put it at that. It seems a little gratuitous. That's and, just cold hard logic right there, Clay. That's, yeah, that's that one. <laughs> that's Vulcan nipples, male and female, are always hard because of how cold and hard their logic is. Outside of the, uh, it, it is a goofy. That scene is goofy. It's poorly done because the the context of how the camera's working does not line up with what's actually going on, which makes it seem exploitative and sort of cheesy and and yeah. like sleazy. She I, in uh, sorry, I was just going to say her whole look is just. It, I can't believe that they they treat her like this post Galaxy Quest mm. because her uniform, quote unquote, is absurdly tight. For, she's for post absolutely seven. no she's reason. She's post seven of nine, I guess. Yeah, sure. But even even there, it's like seven always felt like they realized, oh, nobody's sexy on this show. Let's put someone in a really tight leotard. Yeah. And this one, that's like, don't worry, we've got that in the in the bag from the get go. It's just absurdly tight. There's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason why she needs to be dressed like that. There's also her her undershirt doesn't need to be a midriff shirt. Like, yeah, it could yeah. go down all the way. I, yeah. <laughs> And uh, although uh, Tucker's in in uh, great shape, I was just they, they both they both look fantastic. They obviously worked out to get that scene um, to work out for them. I the decontamination thing, like the one last thing before we get into the actual episode, is um I think that they do a a pretty good job in this show in this episode of really breaking down the Star Trek technology and putting you in a place where you feel that you are in a different time with these guys. Like the, yeah, they're scared of the transporter. Everyone's scared mm-hmm. of the transporter. No one wants to use it. The phasers, uh, the ship phasers just shoot little blast things instead of like a long line. The, the doctor that they use basically is just a version of medieval doctors using leeches to heal people, except he's using mm-hmm. alien leeches. So it's okay at that point. And it works. And it works. And so the technology, I think, is a really interesting, good thing that if anything that this show has going for it is that it does force the writers to rethink how they're going to do this series because you don't have that tech to fall back on, which I think is a good decision. Like outside of everything else for any other reason that they would want to do it, that alone I think is enough to set up a series in Star Trek, I think, to remove all the tech uh, constraints that you have initially. 
Yeah, and not to keep comparing it to Discovery, but I feel like they handle that stuff a little bit better here than they do in Discovery because <clears throat> I actually I thought the way that they they handled the transporter was actually really fun and inventive and it it was it, it I found it to be less on the nose really mm-hmm. than uh than the way they try to do some of that stuff in Discovery cuz Discovery like tries to have the have the best of both worlds where it's like we're really wary of all this technology that you're familiar with from the old show but we also have technology you've never seen before that's way super advanced that we use with no problem whatsoever right so yeah. it's it's like it's it's difficult to play the uh 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 pre early era stuff when when the stuff that they are dealing with is so ridiculously advanced past anything you've ever seen right you you because what that does for discovery is that it doesn't put the technological limits on the show in the way that right. you think a prequel should have it it's just they have a different version that's kind of better than what the modern star trek series or the, the later star trek series have which is a little bit frustrating yeah. i actually you know I I I think maybe I understand why they did it because I thought it it was a nice way to end the episode, but I almost wish that they hadn't done the transporter gag for a couple episodes. Which because gag? Sorry, the uh, um saving the, Archer the, or talking about it at y- first. Yeah, saving Archer. How they you know they open it with it being like ah we don't know if this thing's safe we don't blah 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 and then of course the way they have to save Archer at the end is by using the transporter. Yeah, uh, which I thought was great. I liked that a lot. Um, but I almost kind of wish that they had waited a couple episodes to use the transporter that way because it, it, I think it would have played better if they had spent some time without it. You know what I mean? Right. So then you can, then you can live with that. Oh, we don't have the transporter to use in this show. That's transporter. We're like only figuring out the technology. We can only move like boxes or some shit, whatever they were you doing. Yeah. So you have to figure out different ways to get people back to the ship. And then maybe two or three episodes, four episodes, five episodes. I don't know. There's a point where Archer is pinned in. Absolutely no way they can get to him. And they're like, I have an idea. And that's when they hit him with the transporter. I think that would have been I think that would have probably would have been a little more fun for me. I, I, I think they I think they do they do if I'm remembering this right, they do the, do this a little bit backwards, which is that maybe this is tough because we're coming in with other Star Trek knowledge, but I do feel that the transporter remains dangerous for this show. Mm-hmm. And it's not like everyone's gonna start beaming down places after this. Sure. Okay. Uh if I'm remembering right, that's the way that it is, because I think there's an episode where there's a transporter accident or something. Um We'll see. So I, I don't think that I don't think that because they did this to Archer, now everyone is going to start beaming. I think it's a very shuttle heavy okay. show right. and stuff. That's like good that. then. Yeah, because because that, that's yeah. If if they went from uh, we don't know about this thing, then they use it once, and then it just turns into the way they use it all the time. Right, that everyone probably, starts beaming everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then I would have I would have preferred they wait longer. But if it's still kind of like a novel thing, then yeah, that's I think it's fine. Only other tech thing that sticks out to me is they don't have uh, shields yet in this series. They just have this plating armor or something that oh, they right. keep talking yeah. about, but they don't have shields, so they'll never say Ray shields or anything. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the episode I, itself, I guess. Sorry, I just wanted to say uh, one more thing before we get into the episode. I Like I said, I like the ship, but I, I find it so fascinating how every time they design one of these ships now, or like since the original – they make it flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter because you've got the original one has that big neck on it, like the big giraffe neck with the saucer on it. Then you've got uh, the Enterprise D, which has a much shorter neck and is much more compact. 
Then you've got the Enterprise uh, E and F or whatever from the movies, which yeah. is even further compact. Which are more then like you've Voyager. Got Voyager. Yeah, they look like Voyager. Yeah, yeah, then you've got Voyager, which is sort of like, uh, you know, almost like an S shape, like a, a, a subtle S shape. I think the, this Voyager always reminds just, me of, um, are they called christening spoons? Sure. Do you yes. know that? I don't. I think I know what you mean. Yeah, those spoons you always get, like, or people get when they're christened. I think they're like ceramic or something. Voyager's shape always kind of looks like that, where it's a very oblong spoon head on top of a narrow uh, handle. Yeah, and then this one, they finally complete. Well, I guess technically Discovery completes the the change, but uh, uh, this one they've made it as flat as possible, and then Discovery obviously is even flatter. Yep, circle on a triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, I. I think that you're tough when you're doing ship design for a series like this just because you can't – you kind of just have to go like with an even clunkier version of the original series ship. Right, right. Like it's this – if the thing looked graceful, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why does it look like that? It has to look like it was just bolted together and sent out the door. It uh, still it still looks more advanced than the original Enterprise. Though. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's still a sleeker looking <laughs> ship than the original one. Broken Bow is the first and second episode of Star Trek Enterprise. It first aired on September 2001, the 26th of September. It is the first of 97 produced episodes of Star Trek Enterprise. It was written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, directed by James L. Conway. The in-universe date is April 6, 2151. In this episode, Earth launches its first starship of exploration, Enterprise, on a mission to return an injured Klingon to his home world. It's the series premiere here we go, Clay. We're ready to kick off Enterprise, and we'll start <laughs> 40, 40 minutes into our recording. <laughs> start with broken bow. I, I still feel a little bit rusty. I'm like shaking. The computer's just dripping rust off it. Um, what'd you think of this one? Um, I thought it was pretty solid, actually. Uh, you know, I there was a lot of stuff in it I really liked. Um, I really liked the setup of their mission. Uh, that this was the first time that they had encountered the Klingons and they had to take uh, the Klingon back to Kronos. I love that they can see- never understand what the Klingons are saying at no point right. in the episode. Do they yeah. do they manage to crack how you talk to a Klingon? Yeah, I thought that stuff was really cool. Um, I really, I liked, I liked to Paul's character quite a bit um, because I liked her being sort of that i i'm 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 a uh i'm a big fan of the character whose allegiance you can never really pin down Mm -hmm. um who always ends up on the right side but it's down to the wire whether or not you think they're going to do the right thing yeah um and she she fills that role really well um and the uh i i was really interested by the relationship that the humans had with the vulcans where the vulcans seem to be sort of keeping stuff from them or at least that's how the humans feel like the the conflict there i thought was interesting it wasn't what i was expecting yeah um you know the i i didn't care much for the uh shape changing aliens plot that seemed pretty stock and the last weird to 45 me. minutes of the episode basically <clears throat> yeah, unfortunately in some ways yeah everything with the the you know weird face i think guys. is the name yeah, of those Sulaban. The, Sulaban. Uh, except that one, the the girl who shows up like halfway through that seemed like it was Narissa from Picard. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, just to make out with uh, with Archer. And just, yeah, it yeah. was like the same performance. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it's one of those things where it's like, 
I think the setup for a lot of stuff is cool, but I didn't really care much for the actual nuts and bolts of the plot because it just fe- felt like something to do. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm in the same I page. I don't know. I was just going to say, I don't know how I feel about the temporal war thing. Yeah, the temporal cold war. <laughs> yeah. I don't, what does that even mean? Um, it's a little Doctor Who-y. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I thought it, I, I'm, I'm not sold on Bacula yet. I like the rest of his crew, I think. I like, um, what's the communications girl's name? Hoshi Sato, I think. Hoshi. I like her. I liked her a lot. Um, she was a different kind of character that you don't really see where someone who's kind of like pulled into this and isn't used to being on ships and stuff. Yeah, like nervous that. to be in space. Always wondering what that noise yeah. is when the ship is going at warp four. And she's like, what the fuck is, why is it rattling like that? No. Yeah. I liked her. Um, the other ones, uh, Trip, I don't know. I kind of take him or leave him at this point. Uh, the doctor was fun because he seemed to always be looking down on the humans, which was a nice a nice change for yep. that kind Flox. of character. His name is Flocks. Yeah, Flocks. Uh, then there's the other two guys who I don't really know much about yet. Um, and Malcolm yeah, Reed is the white know. guy, and then Travis Mayweather is the black guy, the boomer. We know that uh, Travis Mayweather is a boomer, which is mean that he's born in space. Oh, is that what that means? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, Bacula, I'm not totally sold on him yet as a, as a captain. Why is that? I don't know. I just, he feels, he kind of feels like he doesn't, I guess after uh, five shows worth of leader, lead actor captains that with like a booming gravitas, yeah, he very much feels like just a guy. Do you think we and know too much about Bacula was the problem? I, I think that's part of it too, because uh, like I... He's a he's very much a known quantity. It, it, it's it's uh, it's strange that they pick someone so well known to 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 lead the show. Yeah, because everyone else is, if not unknown, they're not people that you're like. Oh, it, I'm not saying he's Tom Cruise, but it, it would be like a, you know someone famous showing up and pretending to be a Star Trek captain. It's like I need someone who I don't really recognize at this yeah. point. Yeah, the okay. captains the captains always are uh, their their charisma and screen presence always supersedes anything else you might know about them. Right. Yeah. And in this case, I don't feel that because I don't, I, I look at the show and I go, there's Scott Bakula in a Star Trek show. I don't, I don't feel like his presence His I, I don't feel him as, as arresting as like, uh, uh Patrick Stewart right. or, or, uh, even Avery Brooks, Kate, Mul- Kate Mulgrew or Avery Brooks. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, um, I think that he works in some ways, and one scene that one thing that I'm kind of interested in, and I was wondering your opinion to Paul, right, is an interesting choice to be a woman. I think mm. because her scenes with Archer and Trip are, I don't know if I'm looking through this at like in a very modern lens, they seem borderline sexually hostile in a lot of ways. <laughs> like there's a and I know that Archer is basically playing, uh, being played as like hard ass because his opening thing to her is like, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face and knock you down. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know, but it feels very in like this claustrophobic submarine ship, right? For T'Pol to be outnumbered in some of these scenes two to one by two guys who are kind of like bros in a lot of ways. Like they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're not just typical Star Trek captains. They're kind of alpha males. And right. she holds her own against them. But I think that it's fascinating that she was not a male character who 
would not kind of have this like violence problem in the back of my head. I don't know if I'm reading into that or if it's supposed to be played that way, but she stands up to them. But I just think it's it's a kind of empowering choice for the Vulcans, I suppose, to have a, a female be that character. It's just something that I don't think the episode really touches on, but it's something that I felt particularly in their scenes, like the dinner scene that they have with each other. Yeah, I agree. I think her uh, her ability to to hold her own with those those characters and actors, for that matter, um, I think stands out a lot more because that character is female. Like, I, I think if it was another male, it would just feel like mutual alphaness fighting it fighting each other yeah it would be it would be very um, reminiscent of tos's uh thing too where just yeah be, or yeah. even or even uh probably even more than that the the 2009 movies mm-hmm. or yeah. at least the, the first one anyway with the, the clash between spock and kirk um but yeah i think having her her uh be a woman really kind of uh accentuates how uh strong she is to stand up to those guys yeah yeah, she's um what do you think of Blaylock's what do you think of the Vulcans in this, actually? Blaylock included, who plays DePaul and the other Vulcans who we get a short scene. I'll introduce I'll I'll just I'll flesh out my question there because to me the best part of this episode is the first twenty five minutes. And then mm-hmm. after that, I really don't care all that much. I don't care about the Sulaban yeah. plot or getting the Klingon yeah. back home or anything like that. Like it's nice that they do it. It's nice to get the the Klingon reference and stuff like that. Um but to me, the, the, the plot that takes over once they start going into space is fairly generic and rote and not very interesting whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. However, all the stuff leading up to it is very good, which is why I would have liked to have seen a couple episodes on Earth where you flesh out this stuff. Because I think that the, the relationship between the Vulcans and the humans, which is kind of an antagonistic big brother looking out for little brother type thing – is really fascinating and a great way to turn the Vulcans into villains in a way that makes sense to do that to them. Mm. The only problem I have with the Vulcans in this series is that I think they're all too a little bit a little too emotional in some way. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't think Blaylock really got too over the line because I, I was I was okay. I, as I was watching it, I was thinking about that. <clears throat> Excuse me, and because I know we've talked about the way people portray Vulcans in the past and how there's a lot of times uh, the day player Vulcans anyway have a tendency to be uh, uh, flat in a in a stock way where it's like, oh, well, they don't have emotions, so I'm going to read every line like a robot. Yeah, they're robot. They play them like robots. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, I, I liked that she wasn't doing that, but I didn't think that she ever really was going over. It, they weren't doing like the... Zachary Kinto Spock thing where he's actually secretly incredibly emotional. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like, like I thought that she was, I, I liked that she seemed to be, um, keeping, she seemed to be like, uh, uh, keeping her emotions in check, which is what I feel like the Vulcans are, are supposed to be like more than just robots. Yeah. Cause you could, you could like sense, the hostility in her or sense what was going on, but she wasn't outwardly projecting it. And I'm not saying she's not like Meryl Streep or anything. She's not an amazing actress, right. but I thought she did a pretty good job. I think I, I think that the, I think maybe my problem with all the Vulcans and her included in this is that they, they kind of come off as catty in some ways. Like they sure, are, I could see that they're, yeah. they're a little bit too snarky with the humans. And I, I think that, 
you can write them and perform them as actually having humanity's best interests at heart in the, in their mind's eye, but they come across as kind of um, snobby, maybe. Mm, and I yeah. I can I can get into the snobby factor. I can get into just sort of like it appearing to be snobby if a character constantly tells you what's wrong or like no, you're actually imagining those noises and things like that. But I just think that she's slightly she's not bad, but she is um, slightly. The, the the feeling of being restrained from her emotions comes across a bit too strongly for my liking. And I think that they mm-hmm. they rushed the early ambassador Vulcan in that opening scene, which is my favorite scene in the episode when they the Klingons in the hospital and Archer comes in and the Vulcans are talking to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they rushed the scene where the Vulcan yells because I don't think that they've shown enough stress on the Vulcans to show that kind of reaction to it. Like if you, sure. if you had had five episodes of the Vulcans dealing with these humans who are just like, let us go off into space. We want to do what we want to do. And them saying, no, God damn it. Like you don't know what these Klingons are. You don't know anything. And then one of them actually breaks down and yells. You kind of get that across. But instead, because you've only seen the Vulcans for two minutes, it just seems like he's just a yelly Vulcan, which is not the thing that I want. Yeah. And I was, I was, uh, uh, the conflict with the humans and the Vulcans, while I did find it interesting, I was a little confused by it because my thought process was, you know, they do seem to be, as you're saying, sort of, uh, withholding and kind of catty. And, you know, Archer calls him out for being so, being, being that way, where he's like, well, why are you keeping stuff from us? Blah, 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 blah. And I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why did they even why did they even come down and have first contact with the humans and teach them how to make ships and shit or whatever the Yeah, the, build the, the engines. Uh, like re- yeah, refining the warp did. drive, it seems to be what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they even do that if they were just gonna be kind of dickheads about it when they just when the humans decide to leave Earth? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I because I could I could be much more on board with it if it's what you're saying where it's it's not that they're withholding. It's just that they are logically looking at it and be like, okay, in this situation, we don't think that the the humans should be doing X or have access to X yet because of you know something a little bit more Vulcan, yeah, than and- just playing it as like you know the 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 conflict between T'Pol and Archer being oh he he doesn't know what she's keeping from him and what she's going to report back to the Vulcans so yeah. they could be jerks to him, you know? I like it because... There's even... Sorry, there's even a line where he's like, I don't I don't want you to tell all the Vulcan council what's going on and then have them make it fun of me for an hour <laughs> or, was, or something like that. <laughs> they're very sensitive. Yeah, they're, they're very... We can't flush our toilet... I can't get rid of a turd without talking to your goddamn Vulcan <laughs> subcommanders. Um, I like it because Star Trek, to me... I think Roddenberry in Star Trek generally sympathizes with the Vulcans. Like they, I think Roddenberry saw the Vulcans as a sort of higher form of humanity in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And they, the show tried hard to sort of show weaknesses and Spock and things like that. But what I like about this is I think that with the setting that you've got here, which is humanity still relatively in its infancy, the, the Vulcans being overly protective of them is a way to show the downside of logic in some way because this is the most adventure-based of all the series, right? Because humans have mm-hmm. never gone out this far. Like the, in TOS, they still kind of knew where they were going and drive. it was still unexplored, but they were they still get the sense that they were out there familiar with what was going on. This feels very new to everybody. So I think that it makes sense to have 
to turn the Vulcan logic against it and show how like illogical the human spirit of exploration and trying to be bigger than what you are and trying to like, you know, live forever as humans want to do, how that flies in the face of the Vulcans actually is a pretty enticing theme for this series to go forward Mm. with to show them like listen you logical assholes like you this is the (laughs) one thing you're wrong about like if we just sit on our hands forever we're never going to grow and learn and expand even if it's a safe thing to do it's not the right thing for humans to do and i think that that's a it's a good way to paint the vulcans as pseudo antagonists in a series while still having them be true to what they are in all the other series yeah the element of of the of the vulcans reacting to uh, what the humans might be doing from from the standpoint of a race who can live for two hundred to four hundred years or whatever is interesting, uh, because you would think they would be much more deliberate, and they would uh, right. think that they the get humans all the time in the world. Yeah, yeah, they would think that the humans are moving too fast and might not be ready for X, Y, and Z. Where the humans are like, Nah, man, I got to get this done. I'm going to be fifty next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they they have good points about like I think that the Vulcans are right. Like they're like you don't know jack shit about the Klingons. You can't just go flying into Klingon the homeworlds and start talking to these people because they're not going to like it. Um, I I also sorry you just reminded me. I did find it distracting that the Klingons' name was Clang. Is it Clang or Kling or something? Yeah, he's, whatever it he, is, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, it was like it seemed like a placeholder, and they forgot to change it. <laughs> It's a, it's a reference to the old uh, the old name Kling or something like that. I have to actually find. I, guess, a, yeah. I can't find his name. Is he there? No, the farmer's named after Moore. Ron Moore. Clang is his name. K L A A N G. It's just it's just it seems like a, a setup for like a tongue twister when you're talking about keeping Clang from Kronos, the Kl- the Klingon homeworld <laughs> or something. I um I don't actually have like. When I was talking about the weakness of the episode, I think the entire second half sequence is really not very interesting to me. And I actually don't have much to say about it because, mm. um, you know, there's the Temporal Cold War, which we touched on, the Suliban. Uh, there's a couple fist fights and things like that. There's a lot of action in the second half, which I never think really works well in Star Trek. Um, but leading into it, I did... I just did like that opening thing. I like the crew introductions. I like meeting the Vulcans. I like Archer sort of like getting upset about them. I like the uh, the Zephyr and Cochran speech being the impetus mm-hmm. for that whole mm-hmm. the, all the theme songs and everything, the voiceovers. Um, but once they get into the ship, I, I feel it's not really all that interesting because they have to focus on this action storyline. And at that point, you can't do any more character work with people because they they just have to sit behind desks and say like shields are fail or not shields are like oh plating thing is falling off or get us the fuck out of here like where, where are we and at that point you, you kind of lose me in a plot like that yeah so, once, what's that i was just gonna say like once they get into uh we can't leave the captain behind in the pilot episode of the show it's like okay fine right i guess we're doing this now yeah and it, it's a it's just an episode that, like, I I don't consider this to be the best pilot out of the Star Trek series. It's probably, like, third for me, maybe, mm-hmm. after DS9 and Voyager. Um, and it's mostly because of that second half sequence. If it was all the first yeah. half, I think I would really, really like this episode. But it's it's a lot of not that. It's a lot of Archer running down hallways with the Suliban getting into fistfights as it's a flashing light in the background. And, mm-hmm. you know, he beams out of there and then there's Klingons running through hallways, a lot of hallway running and stuff like that. And it just yeah. it doesn't grab me. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why it doesn't grab me is is because, you know, as 
as I said, that it feels like they do some of the stuff Discovery was doing. They they do it a little bit better on this show. However, um, the thing that bummed me out was that the entire Klingon plot amounted to essentially like a fan service thing. Yeah, that's like true. it was like because the the concept of this being the first time that they interact with the Klingons, I found really interesting because there is you know that is a fairly unmined chapter of Star Trek history, at least on on screen. I'm sure there's like 15 books about it, but those don't count. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of hoping. Uh, I mean, once I saw who the Klingon was played by, I, I was like, all right, he's not sticking around. But uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe maybe that's being unfair, but. You know, Tiny Lister isn't usually a a, a regular on your show, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I was I was kind of hoping that maybe he would stick around, and then he would be part of the crew or something. Uh, <clears throat> because in that in that case, that whole sequence actually has a little bit more weight to it because you are you're getting a character for your show that is bringing a perspective to it that uh, hasn't been really explored before yeah. instead of just being a MacGuffin so you can get to Kronos and be like, hey, isn't Kronos? It's Kronos. Yeah, you guys know that, you know? Yeah, what's so unsatisfying about it, I think, is that it doesn't really... It's, you know, it's the first mission, so it's kind of like it has to be this sort of small thing just to prove that they can do it. However, mm-hmm. it feels so unimportant that it, it you don't really have. I have a hard time attaching any kind of triumphant feeling to accomplishing the goal yeah. that they had to do, well, which is to drop the guy off at home. I think part of it, again, it's a very new Star Trekky kind of thing. It feels a little Picardy, but like the the only stakes attached to getting this Klingon back to Kronos are shit that we don't even know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like it's this this abstract idea of this temporal cold war and then like uh the narissa shape-changing lady is like up he has to get home because he knows stuff that the klingons need to know yes in order to fight this war and archer's like okay okay yeah i that sounds important i guess you know there's no like i'm i assume whoever that shadowy person was probably is like a a recurring villain or something Mm -hmm. but um like as far as what you're being presented in this episode, you, there's no reason for you to care about a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's almost that it's stuff. Very is almost, conclave of eight, you know. Yes, it is. It's almost so. It's almost so backgrounded and ill-defined that you don't even you you really don't need to pay attention to it. Like you, almost while I'm watching through the episode, I get the sense that they're not going to do anything with this. It's it's just that they're laying the groundwork for the the universe that they're playing mm. with. And yeah. because you know that it's not really going to amount to anything, you don't latch onto it. So the fact that it's a double-length episode feels even more ill-advised because I, I yeah. think this could have just been a single-length 45-minute show where the getting the Klingon home takes 10 minutes at the end of the episode, you know? Yes, I would agree, yeah. And could, uh, the other thing is, too, you know, we've talked a little bit about this kind of stuff in the past, but, like, you can get away with having that 45 minutes of your show not really be shit you care about if your characters are having really great interactions and you're learning a lot about them as it happens yeah it's you know kind of the avengers effect where it's like yeah the bad guy is loki he just brings a bunch of like you know non-playable characters to new york for them to kill but the the reason you're watching the movie is because the avengers coming together is so interesting and engaging yeah i'd say the first 20 minutes of this episode is kind of that you like the the introduction of the crew is i wouldn't say it's like 
Shakespearean level dialogue or anything, but I think that you you get enough sense of them being playful with each other and getting a sense of the vibe of what the show is going to be like. Yeah, but once they get into like the action stuff, yeah, yeah, it's like I don't feel like this crew is 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 firing on all cylinders or not firing on all cylinders. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like they're going through the the beats of the action stuff, and I'm yeah. not really getting a lot of character stuff out of it. Yeah, and. You know, surprisingly little drama for a crew that's apparently just been assembled on a new technology in the middle of like a being attacked by so like they there's no sense that this ship is a work in progress to me. Yes. Like everyone kind of knows their job. No one's going like, where the fuck is the where's the terminal I need to get to to like shoot the photon torpedoes or whatever. Everyone's on their on their mark and i think that that was kind of actually a problem i would have liked to have seen the episode build more like a sense of no crew has ever done this before so there's going to be growing pains with everybody and instead they kind of just skip through that and the crew is the crew and everything works out okay yeah they don't even do the uh the tried and true millennium falcon uh hyperdrive doesn't work thing Mm -hmm. you know where they're like all right punch it and then they hit it and go yeah 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 uh slam the terminal with both hands yeah 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 like nothing nothing breaks or anything there's no real uh you don't really feel any tension with the ship at all it's it's it it is fairly a fairly once they get going it is a fairly run-of-the-mill you know action sci-fi plot yeah no, agreed. Um, did I have any other questions for you about this one? I mean, where would you, where would you rank this in the the Trek pilots uh, that you've seen? You've seen Encounter at Farpoint. You've seen the DS Nine one. I don't know if you've seen Caretaker or anything like that. But would you? Is that Voyager? Voyager's Caretaker. Yeah. I honestly, I I can't compare them. It's been so. Long. I I watched. You saw uh, Emissary fairly recently. Would you say this is fairly worse recently. than Emissary? Um, Emissary is my number one. Just mm. like I, I love emissary as a concept because it, it, it the, I think the problem with what separates this from being a good Star Trek pilot is that emissary to me the story of Cisco in that episode is interesting and yeah. and I don't think that like what they try to do with Archer here is to show that he has sort of a vendetta against the Vulcans because they basically told his father to fuck off and wouldn't let him shoot right. a, a, sh- a ship in the space which doesn't really manifest in any other way than Archer just kind of bringing it up as a point of anger with him, but it doesn't Mm -hmm, drive mm -hmm. the character in the way that Emissary drives Cisco because of his relationship with Jennifer and the Prophets. Yeah, I would agree. I thought the flashback to the dad stuff was was fairly trite. Yeah. Um, It didn't really have any weight to it for me. Uh, I did like like the line where he's arguing with T'Pol about it, where he said, you know... uh, the the thing about he should have been alive to see this or something. I don't know. I forget yep. what it was, but yep. that bit was good. I like that stuff. But um, yeah, I would probably agree that Emissary is better than this. Emissary is, it's got a lot of goofy shit in it. Um, you know how I feel about the prophets. Yep. Um, but yeah, I feel this I is a, this, a, I feel this is a better produced episode of TV than Emissary is. Yeah, I would. I think that's where I'm. I'm feeling too. Yeah, where the story is not as good, but like as a as a production, it's probably a bit better. Although, man, how do you, how do you feel about the opening scene with the Klingon running through the corn? And it just felt so strange. It did feel strange, and it's Why, one of those I, it, scenes that when you think about it, it becomes a little bit stranger. I think too. Yeah, yeah. It's like that scene in particular felt very low budget to me. Mm-hmm. 
uh, even though there is like some CGI effects and stuff, but it just felt so, and maybe that was kind of the point where it's like we open on a Klingon running through a cornfield in Oklahoma. Why is he doing that? You know, that kind of thing. I think it, I think the, it reads better on the script than it does I think so seeing too. it. Yeah, yeah. Because my ulti- the ultimate question is, why was he in Oklahoma? Yes. And it's not a question they ever really answer. Yeah, I, the, I mean, the, the thing that I kind of, the the it is it's sort of a strange setup in that it happens and you think it's an okay sequence but then i'm like okay he's, he's running through the corn uh he blows up that thing at a certain point i don't know if i'm overthinking it but his the way he's acting doesn't seem particularly klingon like you know mm-hmm. like i i just don't see the klingon sort of running from these sort of small wishy-washy aliens they're not like they're like this in, uh, sure. terrifying yeah. alien that's chasing him or anything i just feel that him running like that doesn't feel like the Klingons that I would know in this whole situation where he finds himself in Iowa or where or Kansas or whatever, um, or it's Montana, and isn't gets, it, broke? And then he gets shot by a farmer. Yes. Yeah. He, oh, he's in like Oklahoma. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they they were going for that sort of, you know, back to the future thing. You know where that where he crashes into the barn and it's like oh the the alien ship has crashed on this farm and the the, the farmer has come out to deal with it yes like that like that sort of like kind of tongue in cheek thing but uh, it just doesn't it doesn't really track because it's just not well he's also yeah, a futuristic does, farmer with a shotgun right. laser gun yeah you know so it, yeah. it's not like it's Marty McFly running into a you know a barn uh, in the past or anything this guy is on the level with everything that needs to go which is another. We didn't really talk about it, but the it, it's a pretty interesting setup for humans, which is that no one is surprised by aliens anymore. You know, right? We, they've seen aliens. They know that aliens exist. They're just not allowed to take their bike out of the neighborhood. So <laughs> they they don't react to this guy's never seen a Klingon before, but he's not particularly disturbed by it. He just shoots them. They've they live in New Jersey and they've met people from New York, but they've only ever seen it across the river. They've never been there. <laughs> Which is a, a neat take on it. Like, I don't think I would have been happy with a guy going like, what the tarnation the hell are you? Right. And, you know, like that kind of a thing. Like, what kind of animal is this? I, I do like the fact that they just accept that aliens are going to be landing on Earth for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that would have been kind of a fun way to play it instead if they had they had the the klingon end up at the farmhouse and instead of the farmer being freaked out he's just like ah never seen one of you before yeah. well come on in yeah you know, <laughs> <something like that. laughs> my uh, uh the the only other thing that stood out to me as kind of weird um and very piloty is at the end when they when they uh they head off for their future adventures yes they wrap that whole thing up with archer being like well we just got the word from Starfleet. We're going to keep going on our mission. And then I was like, what the fuck is their mission? Yeah. They dropped the guy off. What is, uh, did I miss it? Is there something else that they have been previously charged with doing? No, I don't think so. And they also, the early dialogue implied that the ship was just not ready for any of this to happen. So they needed a right. couple more weeks in dry dock. So they're they're just out there. It does seem... I guess you could say it's just humanity bursting at the seams to get out and do something, but that never comes through in the script or anything. Yeah. So it just, I, it just feels like they're like, yeah, it's, this is the pilot, and now we need a starship to be out there in space doing things, looking at stuff. Yeah, I almost, like, I think that's where the Klingon thing came into play for me, where I, where I, I feel like I almost wish that the first season or something was we have to get this guy back to Kronos. Yeah. You know, so it's like 
that's the thing they're driving for. That's why they're in space. They've got this Klingon that they have to figure out how to what he's about and everything and learn his language and blah, 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 blah. So they have a reason to be doing stuff and they're hitting, you know, road blo- roadblocks and, and adventures and of the week and stuff yeah, along yeah, the way. Exactly. Yeah. On, on their way to Kronos. And then when they get to Kronos, something else happens, you know? Yep. Instead of instead of what are they like? Uh, they 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 really they really make the universe feel small in this show. Yes, they do. Because they do. They're talking about warp speed, and he's like, "Wow, Earth to Neptune, and Earth to Neptune, and back in eight minutes." And I was like, "Well, when you put it that way, it only took four days to go from Earth to Kronos at low warp right. speeds." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "What is it? Eighty hours or something?" <laughs> I think he says. I think he says it's going to take eighty hours for us to get to Kronos, and it's yeah. like, oh well, that's all right. Yeah, that, it does. It does make the universe feel small, and that the. I think that's my my other problem with the Klingon storyline is that just because we know the hostilities that come up between those two species, it feels so. Um, it feels like it doesn't have the stakes that it needs for yeah. e- even for if you're like not talking about the characters on the show, but people watching this franchise familiar with what this means. I don't think that they did anything clever enough with the script to hide it from the characters, but to show the audience that wink, wink, we know that this is kind of a strange thing that's going on. Mm. Uh, mm. They, they don't, they don't really get that clever with it. So it feels, it feels small. As you say, it takes, it takes a couple of days to get to Kronos. We're just going to drop this guy off. The Klingons are not going to, shoot down the enterprise for some reason right yeah we just they just take the guy back and say good for you see you later we'll talk to you later yeah i was expecting when they walk into like the throne room of chronos for it to be like when peewee gets in goes into the biker bar and he's big adventure (laughs) and it's like record scratch and everybody looks at him and he's like "Uh oh you know one of those things but it's like no they just let him in and it's like ah we're happy to have this guy back or something something probably kill him or whatever uh, yeah, it was a little for 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 the first for the first uh, historical meeting of humans and Klingons. It was a little underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Let's um take a break. We're gonna play an audio clip. We'll come back, read some patron comments, and give our final thoughts about Broken Bow. I hope nobody is in a big hurry to get home. Starfleet seems to think that we're ready to begin our mission. I understand there's an inhabited planet a few light years from here. We've detected it, sir. Sensors show a nitrogen sulfide atmosphere. Probably not humanoids. That's what we're here to find out. Prepare to break orbit and lay in a course. I'm reading an ion storm on that trajectory, sir. Should I go around it? We can't be afraid of the wind, Ensign. Take us to warp four. All right, everybody. So thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the content today. It's our coverage of Star Trek Enterprise. We're kicking it off with the uh, the first episode there, Broken Bow. Hope you enjoyed it. We went a little bit long, over an hour. And if you uh, enjoyed it and you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to go. Go about doing it. And you go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff, extra podcasts, behind-the-scenes stuff. We did a uh, movie night because we've all been on quarantine lockdown. We've been playing Jackbox TV with the patrons. So it's been good. If you guys are interested in doing that and you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file. Uh, let's see here, Clay. What's the order of operations? We go to patron comments at this point, don't we? Mm. So if you are a patron supporter of the show at the $5 and up tier, which is a new change, but I did make that change, uh, you can leave your comments about upcoming episodes. We read them and react to them on the show. 
Alex Bogut says, Broken Bow, contrary to popular opinion, love the opening theme song, Faith of the Heart. Here we go. These people are already going at it. Here we go. It is it is very uplifting. <laughs> it's very uplifting. It captures the exhilaration of going out into space for the first time, like in Star Trek First Contact. I wish they had included Yuri Garrigan in the opening video clip. Is that the... Uh, uh, I don't get the reference. from the 70s? I don't get the reference. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alex. Poindexter G says, I don't know why I'm so humored by the fact that the first human-Klingon interaction was an Oklahoma farmer shooting this weird thing he saw in his field. The temporal Cold War plot just overmuddles the pilot. I feel we needed some resolution as to what the Klingons were doing on Earth or what the blood message even was. Yeah, that's that all falls into the uh, new new Trek feeling of it, where it's like, let's just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what happens. I didn't mind the not real uh, learning what the blood message was because I felt that in the eyes of the character, just them accomplishing this was enough of a success for them, where they're not sure. going to question what's going on. So it. Um, I can kind of understand the the logic of not uh, explaining that. I w- I wish I wish one of the humans had leaned over to Archer and been like, "Did we just give them a bomb?" <laughs> they should have had a well in the background with a Klingon yeah, just pulling no. a bucket of water <laughs> out of it. <laughs> just don't drip any of this blood down into the center of our planet. <laughs> Kyle Barrett says, "Broken bow." Guys, that's going to make a lot more sense in about eighty years. My favorite Star Trek pilot. While the pilot is a bit basic, the episode does a good job of showcasing Enterprise's own unique mood and flavor. It stakes a claim in this new part of the timeline and justifies its prequel nature. I love the idea of humans trying to break away from the control of Asad Vulcans and begin Star Trekking. The new narrative really brings back that sense of adventure that Voyager slowly annihilated. It makes the galaxy feel new again. The episode is full of potential, and while not all of it is seized upon, it's going to be a fun ride. It's not all good, of course. The deco- uh, decontamination chamber scene is undefendable, indefensible, and nothing says 2000s like a lame fist fight in an epileptic display of flashing lights. But it's a great introduction. But it's a great introduction to Enterprise. Hell, it even makes Mayweather seem like he's an actual character. I I also was not thrilled at the payoff for the uh, the weird overlay action room mm-hmm. uh being that archer like dodges a laser blast in slow motion right i guess the time yeah. is bending or something there yeah and he does the dramatic roll his arm over it as it uh, shoots under him. yeah it was it was weird i don't know it seemed like seemed like a bit much for for not much at all i just um i i've totally checked out of the story at that point like it's it's just stuff is happening to me like i really don't question that the stuff that happens in the second half of uh, the episode there it's just it just yeah. feels like action for action's sake Matt Ross says, An exciting and fun premiere capturing the awkward beginnings of Earth and Starfleet's furtive attempts to go boldly into space. Although the opening song got on my nerves, the real-life imagery chiming into the shows and Cochrane's speech made it seem like a proper progression into the Star Trek universe. The Vulcan's dickishness towards humans was not what I expected, but it seems to fit. My biggest issue was T'Pol's right to take over. I did find the transporter uh, right to take over. I did find the transporter fear, captain's log dates being actual months, and the more realistic tech like a grappler a nice touch. The decontamination scene was what I expected before biofilters, but sexier. Dr. Flox is by far the most interesting in the opening, and the rest of the crew are skilled in their jobs at the same time. Uh, and at the same time, just on edge enough to show a true newness to the space business. Yes, there are canon issues I noticed when I first saw it, but the sense of adventure, humor, and seriousness keeps me my sh- made me keep my shirt on for the next episode. Next one is Nick Sergi says, 
Thank you for uh, thank you guys for an exciting yet arduous proposition of podcasting full steam ahead into another show. I've been a supporter for a few years and I look forward to this. There's a lot to like about Enterprise. Of all Who the is shows, this? This is Nick. Nick Mercer Create. I don't know the name. <laughs> <laughs> I fell for that. Sorry, I, no, I know, I know who Nick is. I, <laughs> you, you had me going. Um, there's a lot to like about Enterprise. Of all the shows, the flagship vessel actually feels like a real vessel. It's very well designed, and the technology does seem to be uh, halfway from today's tech to TOS. <clears throat> On paper, the characters seem one note and generic, but in their, and they're easy to describe in a single sentence. And while that is true, the writers seem to want to explore these characters, and the actors wanted to get to know them as well. It doesn't take long for seemingly flat characters to seem real. Uh, Aspects of the show get annoying, like the way the Vulcans uh, berate people in trivial ways. I happen to like the overall conflict. Uh, what am I doing here? I happen to like the overall conflict and not just some of the individual scenes. I think the temporal Cold War is both a cool idea and one that allows them to not be so stuck into canon, giving them some freedom, And it could, but it could have been fleshed out better. In the episode, I think the show is awesome with regards to the Rigel mission. It throws humanity into the deep end, showing how we respond to an interstellar community made up of different cultures, yet it's DePaul that reminds us not to act so gregarious or to ignore actions that we might find questionable. Coupled with the fact that the Rigel scenes look fantastic, this is the heart of the episode for me. And then the show outdoes itself with the adventure on the Helix... I don't know. Uh, I guess that's the uh, the ship. I don't know the names. Instead of calling out for tech solutions to deal with the Suliban, Archer just takes out the grappler and steals one of their cell ships. Then he demagnetizes the whole thing, and we have a captain that Han Solo could identify with. Episode is so good as to as mo- the episode is as good as most of the Trek films. I love the ending with the Klingons, and we see that they have good technology as well, as they could find the message in the blood cells in an amazing sequence. I can't. Uh, was that the end of the quote? That's the, yep. That's the end of his. Okay. I can't wait to see them try to explain the temporal war. You're, you're looking for it? <laughs> I can't wait because that seems like one of those things that you come up with for the pilot episode of your show. Yeah. And you're like, we don't need to know what this is at the moment. We'll figure it out later. And then eventually you're like, fuck. We it it can't be that complicated, right? Yeah. But- it's like th- that seems like the kind of thing where if I was in the writer's room and I got fired off of the show. I'd be like, oh, by the way, it's my last day. I added something into the lock script. You have to deal with this thing called the temporal cold war. All right. See you guys. <laughs> it sounds cool. It's a cool sounding name. It's yeah, we'll we'll get into uh, the whole temporal mechanics of this show. David Beamore says, Broken Bow, possibly the best opening episode for Star Trek. I think it did a better job of introducing characters than TNG. I like the struggle between the Vulcans and the humans, but it's somewhat paradoxical. The Vulcans won't give the humans technology because they need to discover it for themselves, but they will interfere with the culture by not allowing them to discover new technology as fast. Also, major throwback to early 2000 CGI with the Suliban. Overall, a great episode, though. Thank you, David. And the last comment, because I put this up very, very late, so there's only a couple comments at this point, but I appreciate everyone who did got the time in. Christian Pouch says, one of the better pilots in terms of general quality, even though without uh, though without the high emotional points of something like DS9's Emissary or the big ideas of Voyager's Caretaker. A pleasing episode which does feel like Star Trek. While ultimately I think the series didn't take enough risks until it was too late, it's still enjoyable and clearly Star Trek, something that where every Trek series to follow this one has struggled. Thank you, patrons, you for know, your thoughts. I did want to ask you a question kind of in that in that, that vein. Do you think – so Star Trek started as obviously episodic. They're out there trekking amongst the stars. Uh, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And they kind of rode that wave through TNG um, and the movies to a certain extent. 
and Deep Space Nine started to veer off into another direction. And then you got Voyager, which has a hook to it, and Enterprise, which has a hook to it, sort of. Do you think is can you do a Star Trek show at this point that does that doesn't have some sort of hook or spin on the premise? I think you can. And by hook you mean it can't just be so you in your in your use of the word hook, the original series does not really have a hook to it. Yeah, in, in my in my sense of the word hook, the original series that was the hook for the you know what i mean so right. it's like it's become star trek has become so ubiquitous that can everything you do is a spin-off a, of that that original idea so yeah. the, the new hook has to kind of take that idea and twist it some way yeah do you think it's possible to do that what to, i'm sorry do you think it's possible to to do a straightforward straight ahead star trek show or do you think there has to be some sort of uh, hook on the premise i think you could certainly get do something like voyager Mm-hmm. Um, I think where you, where or enterprise really where the the setup for this is it, there's an idea that gives you like the context of what your episodes are going to be dealing with and you'll see that like Voyager and Enterprise actually don't always embrace this they just kind of go back to an original series storytelling idea yeah. um, but I, I think you could do that I don't see any reason why not would you disagree or do you think that you uh, are kind of stuck with this modern sensibility of it has to have like a for a better lack of a better word, like a discovery flavor to things. I think with something that's been around this long, I think you either have to embrace embrace the concept or you do have to put some kind of some kind of spin on it. Yeah. Um because you know, if you're just doing the same thing over and over again, you're gonna lose people. And the the more the more times you uh let's put it this way. The more times, the more copies you make of of that of that page that you put in the copy machine, eventually you're going to have to start using different colors of paper to get people to to actually pay attention to what's on the on the page. Yeah, I. What makes me wonder, and what I'm sort of curious about modern Trek is that, in modern, I mean like Discovery and Picard and stuff like that. I feel, I feel it's almost more effective because the series has been around so long, and it's 20 years since the 90s Treks were out to do the same kind of storytelling, but you modernize the production aspect to it. Sure. Like that sounds more simple, but if you like, if you, if you had a modern serial storytelling thing, but it was like, it was basically just doing what the usual episodes used to do, but it was just told a little bit differently. I think that's a better Mm. place than having such a extreme twist, like a, you know, Picard has to find the board cube, like a heavy serialized story that they've stuck onto something. I think you could get away with that and you would just do like 10 episodes a season. That's kind of like a little twisted version of what we expect from Star Trek, but it's just done more modernly. I think that is possible. I think, I think that's where I'm sitting with it because I, I think Picard tried to twist it too much and they ended up twisting it off of the board completely as mm. far as Star Trek goes. But when you've got something that just gives you enough of a hook, like uh, it's it's Star Trek show, but they are lost in the Delta Quadrant and they have to figure out or whatever the quadrant is, I don't know what it is. Yeah, uh, and they have to figure out how to get home. That's that's a fun twist. Or if it's Deep Space Nine, where it's like it's Star Trek, but instead of the ship moving and and them going to places, they stay still and the people come to them. It's like okay, that's different. Yeah, or same like idea. A Star Trek show that um. 
you've got this alien yeah, I'll just use DS9 as a setup. Like a group of Star Trek characters who are on Bajor helping with the rebuild of that of that planet. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I feel that there is space in a modern storytelling for they don't have to necessarily be in space and stuff like that. And you don't have to have adventures of the week being go to a different planet, but you can focus on these characters in a consistent environment and have it work out and still feel like it's a Star Trek show. Yeah. I do think also, though, there is probably something at this point a bit of I think there's room for what you're saying, where it's it is sort of just a aesthetic updating of the original sort of concept where it's not really that different, but it's just uh, it is well well run through the filter of modern sensibilities. Yeah, because like, I mean, if you look at the movies, right, the uh, the Kelvin movies. The one that we reacted to the most positively was the one that was the most like the show. Yeah, where it was. I mean, Beyond obviously for people. It, yeah, yeah. It goes. It goes more actiony and more moderny towards the end. But like the first half of it is very much a episode of the TV show, and I think it works really well. Yeah, and I think there is a sweet spot that the modern Trek hasn't quite figured out how to play in yet. I think Doctor Who kind of figured it out. Um, in the last handful of years where it's like, how do we embrace the stuff that came before, but also keep it interesting moving forward? I think, I think Star Trek, I mean, they're going to get a lot of chances to do it because apparently there's like 25 shows in development. Um, But what do you, what do you think about, what do you think about what Enterprise did with it here to bring it back to this one? Like, what hmm. would you, what would you say was a success in that regard and a failure in that regard for this pilot? I, I think choosing to go, a prequel actually is a good choice conceptually. Um, I think they, there's a lot of interesting stuff that they did kind of dance around, but I almost wonder if that sort of twist needs a, a bit more than just putting that twist on top of the old kind of storytelling method. Yeah. Uh, we'll see moving forward, but I, but I, I feel like going to this era isn't a terrible move. Because you do get interesting things like the, the the Vulcan human relationship and the first time they meet Klingons and stuff like that, which could could be kind of hammy, but I think it's it's they're interesting concepts that would be fun to explore. They're also um, they they chose the right amount of time to be before TOS, which is not yes. what Discovery did. Yeah, right. Yeah, they are far enough away where they can more not or less do whatever they yeah. want. Yeah. 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 Um, instead of being hamstrung by setting their show like 45 minutes right, in, in a week, Spock, Spock is going to be at this planet in a week, so <laughs> yeah. we can't go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're working, you're, you're backing yourself into a bit of a corner with that one. But uh, yeah, it, it it's, is, uh, I think they made, you know, I, I'm interested to see where it goes and how they handle it. But I think if you're looking at just conceptually like pitching this show, I think they made the right choice. Yeah. Yep. I'd agree. I, I like the concept of this quite a bit, and I like the setup, what they do with the Vulcans and everything. I, to me, the storytelling felt like it. It does feel like a Star Trek episode, but it felt like it was drawing too much influence from early two thousands TV in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I just know that that style is going to die out. So right. it's at this very. It's really at an interesting crossroads because at the time this was coming out, TV was starting to move into prestige series, right? Which is mm-hmm. 13 episodes a season, uh, 
dark character, like sort of a characterization depth that these shows don't really get into and Sopranos and things like that. And The Wire was coming out. And not that this show is trying to be like those shows, but it's it's a updated version of what was at that time, even then, a relic with this 26-episode season stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so they're... They're really stuck in the middle. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting amalgam of a whole bunch of different influences at a very uh, difficult point in time for TV production. I think. You know, you know what's an interesting TV trend that I feel like has kind of gone under the radar for a long time that I'm surprised something like Star Trek never embraced. This idea of just periodic TV movies, where like a show, um, what the hell was that show? It was there was a. Uh, uh, Tom Selleck show. Mm. It's escape. It's escaping me. It wasn't. It's not the one he's on now. It's not Blue Bloods, but it was one of those things where it's like they would do two or three episodes every five years or something, you right. know, or like yep. every couple years. And I'm surprised more shows didn't. It, it's it's sort of a precursor to the way that they do things now. But I'm surprised that a show like Star Trek never gave that a shot. Where it's like, all right. Instead of doing 26-episode seasons for four years, we're going to make a big deal out of the fact that we've got five five or, or, or two or three episodes in a big, long miniseries featuring all of your favorite characters or something. You know, right. yeah. it's, it's, an, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting element. Of, I feel like Columbo ended up doing that too, yeah. where it's like Columbo was on forever and then it was over. Yep. And then it was like every couple of years they would do a Columbo long-form movie, TV yes. movie, or Perry Mason or something like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that they never tried that with something like a sci-fi show like this, where it's like, this is going to cost money to do. So let's do it once for, and then wait a couple of years and do it again. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, it's, they, they didn't really experiment with the format all that much. And I think that if I'm going to predict anything, I think that we're going to, I think that Enterprise is enough of a change where we're going to get to the end of a 26-episode season and go, there were a lot of goddamn episodes in that season. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I think that it's modern enough where we're going to feel that the show doesn't want to be doing that at the anymore. You know what I mean? Do uh, do the numbers go down as the seasons go on, or does it stick at 26? I think it's always 26. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if maybe like... They were they were overlapping to the point where like the last season was ten episodes or something. No, they definitely didn't do that. So let me just where's the why can I not go back? Where's Star Trek Enterprise? I can't. I'll just have oh there it is. Never mind. One second. So Enterprise, I'm just going to look at the seasons here. Where is the episodes? Plot summary. What is this? Episodes Enterprise. And then we'll wrap this up. This is Star Trek episode. So there are, it does go down slightly. So it's 26, 26, 24, 22. Mm, okay. So it's not drastic, but they do lose five right, episodes. Right. Okay, cool. Well, the next one is going to be Fight or Flight. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Oh, I guess we should do the ratings for this one. This is going to be interesting, Clay, because I don't, I'm so unfamiliar with it. I don't know what to do. Um, right. I'm going, on a scale of one to five, I think I'm going to give this one a, a two, but only mm. because 
the it's it's being the average is being brought down by how much of it is in the second half that I don't care about. Like I I sure. think this is a three of an episode if it was one episode, but it was so long that it just it really just kind of wore me down by the end of it. Um, so I'm going to give it a two, but I don't think it's it's a bad episode in and of itself. I think it's just too long. Yeah, I I agree. I think I'm going to go with a three. Um, if only because it does feel like the most complete episode of television they've ever done for a pilot on the on star trek oh interesting yeah where it's like i i i feel like it's uh technical wise it feels a lot more like a like this is what the show is going to be like moving forward yeah interestingly it feels feels like they knew what the show was from the the start yeah and it, it has a confidence in a way that i think that the other shows maybe don't yeah like even even uh emissary it feels a little bit wobbly in some places and an encounter at far point it's like it's it's like two <laughs> two steps away from <laughs> shooting cardboard maquettes on a cardboard background you know? yeah well i don't um comparing it to emissary like i i feel like a lot of the actors in emissary felt unsure of what they were doing there and i, yes, I feel that the yeah. actors here everyone feels not to say that these characters aren't going to change but everyone is playing their character in this episode like they know what this person is yeah, I would agree. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. We'll, we'll see how it comes from that. But I'll give it a two. Clay gives it a three. Um, but I don't think it's a bad episode. It's just not one that really excites me. Um, next one is Fight or Flight. We'll talk about that in a couple of days. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash The Penske File. If you want to do that, you can go to The Penske File slash or ThePenskeFile.com slash links if you want links to all the social media and stuff like that. ThePenskeFile.com slash links. Twitter, Instagram, Discord, all that stuff. Join the Discord, blah, blah, blah. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, if you like horror movies, check out Rotten Horror Picture Show. It's a, a podcast that we do where we cover movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Greatest movies, Horror Movies of All Time list, which is that's up for debate. Um, <laughs> it's an ever-evolving also, list, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, we've just started season three of the Badass podcast, where we do uh, bat- where me and uh, fellow comic book artist Sean Murphy talk about Batman the Animated Series. Uh, that should be coming out uh, in a couple weeks, probably. What's you have a Rotten Horror tomorrow, the day that this posts? What is it? You just uploaded uh, it. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. Dead Alive, which is, uh, which is a fun one. I kick ass for the Lord. Hell yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's so good. <laughs> if only it for that so, freeze sequence. I love the freeze sequence. It is. I had. I talk. We talk about this at length on the show, but I haven't watched it in some time. It is a gross movie. Yeah. Yeah. One of the grossest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Check that out. You can go to thepenskefile.com to find those shows. I think that's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. That's Broken Bow. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think about Enterprise. We hope you stick around for the rest of this Enterprise thing. There's four seasons, and then we're done with it. Clay, welcome to Enterprise. And uh, I look forward to learning as much about this show as as you do, because I, I really feel very ignorant uh, about the whole thing. And I'm, I'm sure that I'll be wrong about a whole bunch going forward, but it'll be an interesting uh, place to be for this show that we've never done on the podcast. Let's, I think it will be, I because so. I have faith. So good. Neil Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Do you think that was playing the minute he touched his foot down and said that's one small step? And I was just like, wait until you hear this song, Neil. <laughs> wait until you hear this goddamn song we got brewing. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.